we made it to episode 30. I'm a little envious of Princess Kona because she hit 2,800 downloads of her videos faster than my podcast. She says it's not a competition. I guess she doesn't know my competitive spirit. So anyway, back to the story. As I leave Randolph, I start an adventure that professionally becomes a key part of my career while also getting an education about both Korea and my time before being adopted. All were eye-opening, to be sure. To finish up Randolph, my experience from my enlisted career is that going away is part of leaving. It's to thank the member for their contributions as well as provide some closure for the organization. After all, military members and their families move a lot. You make friends, and then you're gone. Sometimes we cross paths again, and sometimes not. A bit before I left Randolph, the ATC commander, General Osway, also got a new assignment, and there was a week long of events to include a golf tournament and many other events across the base. Remember Margie? Well, she was an avid golfer, and at a staff meeting, I announced that I assumed we'd have a week-long event for my departure. I mean, if it's good enough for a four-star general, it must be equally proper for a second lieutenant, right? Well, (laughs) maybe not. Shortly before my time was coming to a close, Les and I were in the Arts and Crafts Center. The Arts and Crafts Center held pottery classes and also sold items that they made to customers, often for going aways. There was a large eagle, and I remember commenting that I really liked it. At the time, I collected eagles. We didn't have a week long of events. I'm still shocked. I'm sure you are too. We did have a golf tournament and a little party. I never golfed before in my life except for putt-putt. In fact, let me take a tangent and share a fun experience involving putt-putt. After church one Sunday, some of us decided to play putt-putt golf. There were five or six of us, including a very fun guy who was a magna cum laude medical doctor. He was incredibly smart. And at the same time, sometimes common sense was maybe a little more lacking. With putt-putt, there can be that waiting period when you're waiting for folks ahead of you to play their hole. So he declared, we're going to have full contact putt-putt as a group so we didn't have to wait for each other to play their ball. That was actually kind of fun, but I was, as well others, concerned we might get thrown off the course. We didn't, but we did have some spontaneous fun. We went back to Tim's apartment and he said, well, who wants Belgium waffles? Let's see, a bunch of young officers who hadn't had lunch yet? Everyone said, sure. Well, since I had cooking experience, I volunteered to go help him out. So I went into the kitchen. He grabbed the toaster and said the waffles are in the freezer. Indeed, there was a package of waffles. Inside the package, there were two. I whispered to him that that wasn't going to be enough. And maybe we should just go out for brunch. Oh, no, he said, there was plenty. We just need to cut them. So he grabbed a knife and proceeded to cut them in half. Not along the seam on the side, he cut them vertically, which meant they weren't going to fit in the toaster. It was pretty funny, and we did go out for brunch. 
So back to the golf tournament preparation. Margie went out with me before the tournament to teach me a bit about playing real golf. She taught me how to tee up my ball, and, well, I wasn't a great player. So when Margie made the flyers for the first ever Tom Terrific golf tourney, there were some special rules. Everyone would play from the women's tees, which are all closer, and swings that you made that didn't hit the ball at all didn't count as strokes, as they normally would. I apparently had a lot of hits and misses, or swings and misses, I should say. So I'm on the first hole and tee up my ball. It doesn't go very far. I get the ball and I put it on the tee again in the fairway. Margie says, what are you doing? I'm teeing up my ball. She says, well, you only get to do that on the first hit. But it's so much easier. <laughs> anyway, there seemed to be so many rules I wasn't informed about. Being the star of the tournament does have benefits. I don't remember the score. What I do remember is that my foursome was declared the winner. Like youth sports, every member of the team gets a trophy. So I decided to retire from golf. You know how it is. It's best to go out on top. The little party was just two days before my actual departure, and I was all packed up. Limited items were shipped to Korea, and my bags were packed to go on the airplane. What do I get as my going-away gift? I get that beautiful eagle that now I have to hand-carry to Korea. On the way, it did get a small chip on the wing, and you might be able to see that small chip in the photo that I'm going to post this week. It was a very nice send-off, and I had a good sense of accomplishment from my first assignment as a commissioned officer. You may remember that in the episodes about my enlisted career, that for individuals who are deserving, a decoration, or personal medal, is submitted for approval to be presented at the next assignment. 99% of the time, they are presented at a commander's call, and the new unit learns a bit about one's accomplishments and gives the individual a bit of a head start with a positive reputation. I earned my second Air Force Commendation Medal, which meant that a decoration would have an oak leaf cluster indicating a multiple award. In addition to my send-off from the base, I also went to Christ the King Lutheran Church that was just outside the base. My friend got me initiated in the Lutheran faith, and I really liked the pastor as well as the liturgy. Plus, I pretty quickly learned that there aren't very many Wesleyan churches. Over time, I taught Sunday school for high schoolers, and that was pretty fun. And, like any other teaching experience, I learned a lot more from them than I'm sure they learned from me. In fact, Steve gave me a gift early on in my own, of my own Lutheran book of worship, which is the hymnal used by the Lutheran Church. Anyway, the church also did a very nice blessing for me as I embarked on this overseas assignment. It was a truly inspirational way to leave San Antonio and Randolph Air Force Base. In preparation for going to Seoul, I did a lot of research. One thing that I figured out was that I really wanted to learn some Korean. I took French in high school and wasn't very good. I certainly do not have an affinity for language. I read early on that a good way to learn Korean was to first learn Hangul. Hangul is the Korean alphabet. 
There are only 24 characters, and unlike some Asian languages, it is one of the easiest to learn how to write because it is, with only some few exceptions, lines, squares, and circles combined in various configurations. By learning Hangul, then you can sound out and read signs. After learning the characters, I then learned some primary phrases, and unlike reading English translation books, I was able to learn the sounds of the characters, which allowed me to learn how to better pronounce the words. As with Korean, there are some nuances that can change the definition. Let me give you an example that you may be familiar with. There is a car company that's from Korea, and in fact, I currently own one. It's a Hyundai. In the U.S., it's pronounced Hyundai. And yet, in the Korean language and the spelling in Hangul, it is properly pronounced Hyundai. I think the car company itself calls itself Hyundai so that it is more, quote, American, unquote. So with all of this in place, I'm ready. I depart for Korea. I depart for the place where I was discarded as a newborn. I depart for the adventures and the new responsibilities in MWR that has even more relevance because it's in an overseas location, and even more so in what is considered a short tour area. Finally, I depart to a country where the reality of the Air Force mission is front and center. From Seoul, the DMZ is just a few minutes by air and just a few more minutes to Osan Air Base. And you'll learn how seriously the base took that mission. Like with other episodes, I'm going to give you a lay of the land, and I'll try to do that for you now, both from my perspective of arriving in Korea, as well as where I'm going to be working. Osan, at the time, was the largest air force base in Korea, and I think the second or third largest military base, with Yongsan Army Base as the largest, which at the time was located in south-central Seoul. The headquarters for 7th Air Force was located on Osan. A numbered air force is just below the level of major air command, and as mentioned last week, Osan is part of Pacific Air Forces, or PACAF. There were relatively older dorms that single officers were housed in, and by chance, my office was a hop, skip, and a jump from the dorm where I was assigned in. That was awesome. My commute was less than a five-minute walk. The base had limited and yet very nice family housing on base for eligible married members who were allowed to bring their families. When that option was available, the assignment was two years instead of one. My initial boss and the boss that came in after him both were accompanied and lived on base. My office was adjacent to the division chief as I was the operations officer. Across the hall was the NAF, or Non-Appropriated Fund, finance office, and that was run by a colleague who was a first lieutenant. Let me tell you a little bit about him. He was very smart and had the personality that was both admirable and engaging. We got along famously, and we did some exploring of Korea together. When I arrived, we had one other lieutenant position that was initially vacant and also linked to the finance office. In addition to being the operations officer, I was also, in many ways, the de facto deputy, and was given the responsibility for the marketing office, library, and the Class 6 store. The Class 6 store is the base liquor store. 
It fell under MWR instead of the base exchange, and I don't know how that came about because typically that's not the case. For my non-military listeners, it's called the Class 6 store because in the military supply classification system, liquor is, yes, you guessed it, Class 6. Sometimes the military is very creative in naming things. We had typical primary MWR activities like the officer and NCO clubs, recreation center, child development and youth centers because of the on-base housing, a golf course, a six-lane bowling center, fitness center, library, and others. Overall, we had 22 activities with revenue of $18 million a year. The mission of MWR overseas is amplified because commanders prefer that their team members have on-base options for recreation and camaraderie. Like most bases, an MWR division has more civilian employees than military ones. The military members primarily ran the, the two clubs, the fitness center, and recreation center. Most facilities only have civilian employees. And like overseas bases, there are four categories of employees in MWR. Bear with me, because it's kind of important later on in the story. There are appropriated fund, or GS, civilians. When you think of government employees in general, that's who they are, taxpayer-funded employees. Then there are NAF employees that I described in the last episode. These are employees that are funded by the income from the various activities. Then there are Korean GS and Korean NAF employees. Some local nationals are funded by the taxpayer and some are funded with non-appropriated funds. Anyway, like I said, you'll see how this all comes together at a certain point in the journey. Spoiler alert, there won't be a test, and I'll try to remember to highlight when it's important. My biggest program responsibility was the construction program and base-wide projects. Within MWR, the construction program includes both appropriated fund and non-appropriate fund projects funded either from the Major Command or Headquarters Air Force. Since they all had to be approved by Congress in the Annual Defense Appropriation Bill, during my tenure at OSAN, it was a transitional period where we had projects that touched nearly every single activity at a value of $20 million. It was a very good learning experience of how the process worked from coming up with that proposal, getting Air Force and then congressional approval, and the whole process from groundbreaking to ribbon cutting. A lot more about this as I go through the journey at OSAN. One of the things that you learn when assigned to OSAN is that it is 19 hours ahead of Honolulu, where PACAF is located. This meant that the period of time when their staff was working and when we were working was a small window for them to contact us for information. Plus, an advantage was that when something was due, we would tend to use the time that was the most beneficial to us. You can be assured that it was more frustrating for them than us. Another unique scenario within MWR was that the Suwon Air Base was not far from Osan. It was about 40 minutes, as I recall. It was a markedly smaller base, as the director was just a captain. While they were not under us for chain of command, there was an unofficial line of communication between us and the Major Air Command. Lastly, unlike Randolph, we had a bit more oversight over APHIS and the commissary. 
Again, it wasn't a line of command. It was simply more coordination that had to be done through our chief of MWR that made our organization a bit more complex. While 7th Air Force Headquarters was at Osan, functionally, since we were a support organization, we didn't have a reporting line that was generally a positive thing because we could get support from PACAF when it was in our best interest. I'll share how my boss navigated that because he did it very well and I learned a lot from his approach. With that general background about the lay of the land for my work, let me switch to my first observations landing in Korea. I think there were three key observations, one of which I had to learn quickly. The first was that there was a clear evidence everywhere, especially on the roads and the subway, that the real threat of the Democratic People's Republic of Korea, or DPRK, otherwise known as North Korea, was present. Of course, that was one of the first things you heard in your base orientation. And as you looked around, there were, for example, vending machines that contained gas masks in the subways. When driving on roads just outside Seoul, especially going north, the roads at night would have roadblocks that made you zigzag slowly through the checkpoints. There were emergency roadblocking releases at overpasses that could be activated to prevent the north from moving equipment down roads. Lastly, the main highway between Seoul and Osan on Route 1 was designed to be an emergency runway. All of these were constant reminders of where you were. The second observation was that when I would see children playing in the streets, they looked a little like me when I saw photos when I was a youngster. It was an eye-opening experience, to be sure. When in the United States, when I was young, the percentage of any Asian American was well under 1%, and children, obviously, even smaller percent than that. Seeing people who looked more like I did was something that I had never experienced. By this time, I had never been to a major city where there was a large population of Asian Americans or ethnic Asian citizens In some ways, it was a stronger desire or stronger ambition to both learn more about Korea and experience as much as I could during my time there of how the Korean people lived, worked, and played. Of course, I'll be sharing those observations through these next episodes. Lastly, and again, it was more of an observation that I needed to learn quickly, that no matter what you can learn by reading, the reality of learning the customs and traditions of Korea was going to be important, not only because being stationed there you are a guest of their country, but because of being of Korean descent, I would kind of be expected to know these traditions and customs as I encountered local folks in the communities that I visited. Initially, I relied heavily on my civilian squadron mates to acquaint me to these. In sharing these observations, I also realized I needed to add two points of clarification. The first is that while the term South Korea is frequently used, even by Koreans, the proper name of the country is the Republic of Korea. And while North Korea is a proper short name for the DPRK, Republic of Korea is more properly known as the ROK, or just Korea, over South Korea. 
In addition to my initial observations, I was fascinated by the shopping experience. Everyone hears about how Korea is a shopping bonanza like no other. And it's true. It's truer then than it is now. I'm referring to the street markets where local citizens would buy their food, usually on a daily basis, and experiencing these many things that were new to me. Some of those experiences were in short takes one to three, and some more will be shared in these next episodes. For lots of reasons, I really want to immerse you in as many aspects of Korea that I experienced as I myself tried to become immersed. To close out this episode, one of the shopping experiences that I learned about that there were freelance artists that could paint almost anything and were very good. And there were places to make plaques everywhere in Songtan, the city right outside the gates of Osan. Not only was I thinking a great deal about my start in this country, it of course made me thinking about my mom. I knew that I would never be able to find, nor did I want to find, my birth mother, and my mom was obviously more important. I had a painting commission that I posted in the short takes earlier. I also knew that in short order, I would make the trip to Ilsan, which was well north of Seoul, where the whole orphanage was, and that I was adopted through. I wanted to pay a tribute to my mom, and had a plaque made in both English and Korean, and I did exactly that. One of the older Koreans, Mr. Han, that took me under his wing in many ways, helped me with that. In fact, he did the translation to, for me to give to the engraver. And more about that a bit later as I go up to Ilsan. By this point, mom had just passed four years before I get to Korea. I'm not sure I was fully past my personal mourning period. What I did know is that because of mom's initial ties to Holt, Holt families, and that she and dad adopted five children from Holt, which I'm sure was probably one of the highest numbers for one family, I needed to do something in her honor. Coming up with this idea not only would give me a way to do that, it also gave me more push or impetus for me to go up to Ilsan sooner than later. Well, this finishes up this episode with all of that background, and I hope it gives you a foundation for these next couple of episodes. I hope you will enjoy learning about how this orphan who came to the United States at just under three months old discovers and experiences Korea 29 years later. We're going to have some special guests along the way who experienced this with me as well. So, until next week, Annyeonggi Kaseyo, or goodbye for now. I'll see you next week.